I told Cliff last week, uh, that was a uh, first going through Jonah for us. I think since he's been preaching, we went through in, what, five weeks? And we could have gone longer, but there's a lot in that little book. And in Galatians uh, today, as we begin, we're going to read chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil, from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Good morning. Thank uh, Jamie for leading us in worship. I think she did a great job. I think she's leading us next week too. Is that true? I think Chad's gone next week also. We begin our study in Galatians, and I'm, I'm excited. I hope you're excited. I hope you're excited to be here on Sunday mornings and hear the Word of God preached and to go into your small groups and discuss what you've heard and other issues, other things, applying it to our lives. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about the gospel. You know, my wife grew up in a church. She went to church pretty much every week, I think, since probably birth. But when she was 15 years old, she went on her first date with me. Ooh, scary. And I was 15 too, so I couldn't drive. So my dad drove us to church. That was our first date. We went to a different church, though, than than hers. And for the first time, this is Christina's words, I'm speaking for her. And for the first time, she says she heard the gospel. She was so excited. She couldn't believe what she heard. She couldn't believe that she could have assurance of salvation. She couldn't believe that it was all Jesus and not her. She went home. She was excited about this. And she told her parents. Now, her parents had been going to church their whole lives as well. And, and needless to say, they weren't as excited and, uh, as Christina was. And fortunately, Christina continues to be excited about that initial hearing of the gospel, do you remember the first time you heard the gospel? The good news that God sent his only son into the world to give his life for you. That through Christ your sins could be forgiven. That you could be made righteous before God. That you could know 
you were saved because of Christ. That you could have an eternal relationship with your Creator. That the Spirit of God would come and indwell you, live within you. And your part was to surrender your life to Him. To believe and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. No other news compares to this. This is the the most amazing news in the history of the world, bar none. And this is the news that the Apostle Paul brought on his first missionary journey to the Galatians. And this was the news that some were deserting. Galatia was a province in Asia Minor. This is modern-day Turkey. We have a a slide. Is that blurry or... It's not. I don't have my glasses on. No, no. It's amazing. It clears up. Galatians is a province in Asia Minor. You'll see there. You'll see Tarsus. Tarsus. That's where Paul was from. You'll see Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas were commissioned. So it's not surprising that their first missionary journey went up around the corner there to Galatia. While they were there, they established four churches. You'll see on the map. In the cities of Antioch and Pistian. This is different from Antioch where they were first commissioned as missionaries, in Iconium, in Lystra, and in Derbe. If you read about Paul's ministry in these cities, if you read about them, it's in Acts chapters 13 and 14, and I'd encourage you to do that even maybe sometime this week before you go into your Galatians small group study. But if you read that, you'll see both Paul's presentation of the gospel there in these cities, and you'll also see a continual opposition from the Jewish religious leaders. Sound familiar? Was anybody with us for the study of John and Jesus' ministry? Same guys, same kind of guys are opposing Paul. Even while in Lystra, Acts records, they, they stoned Paul and left him for dead. This area had a heavy Jewish influence. And that influence didn't stop once these churches were established. Many of the new believers were Jewish. And it wasn't long before they began to cause great confusion in the church. They taught that Gentiles must be circumcised before they could become Christians. They taught that both Jewish and Gentile Christians must continue to follow the Mosaic law. And so Paul writes the letter of Galatians to these churches to combat this false teaching of these so-called, quote-unquote, Jewish Christians, or what, what is... What, what many have called Judaizers. The word Judaizer comes from the Greek to live according to Jewish customs. Okay, you might be thinking, that's fine and dandy for the churches in Galatia. They had this, this problem. But as far as I know, we no longer have this problem, at least at Bridges. No one's teaching we need to be circumcised. No one's teaching we need to keep the Mosaic Law. No one's teaching that we needed to live according to Jewish customs. So what does Galatians have to do with us? Well, let me say this. The problem faced in Galatia is the same problem that's plagued the church and continues to plague the church to this very day. In fact, I would say that the problem is greater than any other problem the church has ever faced. It's greater than the challenge of Islam, of Buddhism, of Hinduism. It's greater from the challenge of atheism or New Ageism. What makes this problem so great is its subtlety. It comes from within. 
It creeps in unnoticed, but it has devastating effects. It takes the true gospel and changes it into no gospel at all. So what is this problem? Put simply, the problem is adding to the gospel. When you add to the gospel, you do not have the gospel. Now, this might not quite be computing. When you add something, don't you still have something? Well, I brought a little illustration. Excuse me. And this probably isn't perfect because I thought of it this morning. I do my best thinking on Sunday morning when I wake up, which isn't always good for my preparation. But uh, if we have a glass here, can you guys see it? Can we get the camera to zoom in? Sorry. <laughs> we have a glass here of, of pure tap water, as pure as that can be. It's, it's water. And uh, what we have here, and this will represent the gospel, the pure gospel. Now, this is a cup of... A good thing, really. Simple green. Anybody ever use simple green? It's very. And, but if we add simple green to our pure water, we no longer have pure water. We can't drink it. It may be good for some things, but it's not pure water anymore. And that's what happens when we add something to the gospel. Adding anything, putting your faith, except putting your faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross changes the gospel. It's no longer the gospel. The Galatians added the Mosaic law. We call that legalism. But throughout history, other things have been added to the gospel. We still have legalism. Obedience to certain commands is necessary for your salvation. Confession of sins is necessary. Good works are necessary. The sacraments, communion, baptism are necessary. Prayer, you got to pray and read your Bible. It's necessary. All of things are good things, like simple green. But when we add them to the gospel, we no longer have the gospel. None of which will... And when we add those, thinking that those will earn us our salvation, we've ruined the gospel. It's no longer good for what it is to do. As Paul writes to the churches in Galatia, he specifically addresses their problem. Adding circumcision and the law and law keeping to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And in doing this, Paul provides the church throughout history with a, a document, a book, that firmly establishes the gospel, that justification, our salvation, comes by grace through faith, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone. He says in chapter 2, verse 16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be justified by obeying the law, by doing good works, by reading their Bible, by praying, by being baptized. So why is this important for us today? I think because of our prideful nature, there's something within us built in us. It's from the fall. There's something within us when we need to seek to earn our salvation. It's our nature to need to add something, something to the free gift of God. It's our, it's our nature to believe that we can do something to deserve God's 
love. It's our nature to think we can contribute to our own salvation. I remember struggling with this for for many years, feeling that when I was doing good, when I was avoiding sin, going to church, reading my Bible, that God was accepting me. He was loving me. I was in a good place. But when I would fall into sin, I would worry that God had had rejected me. Even though I knew that it was only through Christ, I, I I had the right doctrines, but there was something in my nature. My nature needed to to think I needed to be doing something to earn God's love and forgiveness. This is why non-Christian religions, all of them in the world, are based on man's efforts to reach God, to please God, to gain God's favor. And this is why whenever Christianity, true Christianity, is distorted, is perverted, the emphasis becomes no longer the grace of God, but the efforts of man. But standing as a guard... in the the watchtower against man's nature to believe that we can and that we should seek to earn God's love, grace, and mercy, standing as a pillar, a guard against that is the book of Galatians. So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to study this book. And Paul will not only define the the true gospel, but he'll also lay out for us how the gospel can impact our lives, how the gospel can impact our lives our behavior. No, there's nothing, no, nothing we can do to earn the grace of God, the salvation of God, to earn the forgiveness of God. But when we accept the true gospel, when we put our trust in Christ alone, God, through the power of His Spirit, gives us power. There's power in the gospel. Power to live a life of spiritual freedom, a life of deliverance from the bondage of sin. A life that can, once the gospel's been accepted, once you've been adopted into God's family, a life that can then obey his commands, a life that can confess sins, a life that can do good works, a life that can receive the sacraments of communion and baptism, a life that can be full of prayer, a life that can study God's word, all with joy in our hearts, not because we're earning God's favor, but because we're growing closer in relationship with Him. I heard it said recently that salvation is by grace. Sanctification involves gratitude. As we grow in our relationship with Him, as we do these things because of the grace He's given us, we're we're demonstrating our gratitude and we're growing in relationship with Him. So I hope Again, that you're excited about our study, both in Sunday mornings as I preach to the book and in our small groups. So let's begin. Verse 1. You guys ready? Go. All right. Verse 1. Charlie read. I'm going to read again through it as we talk about it. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In the church in Galatia, not only was the gospel coming under attack, but so was the Apostle Paul himself. Paul brought the gospel to Galatia, but now his authority is being questioned. Who is this guy? Who is this Paul guy anyway? So he begins the letter by stating his apostolic authority. He says, Paul, an apostle. The word apostle literally means one who is sent. 
And in the New Testament, it has two senses, really. A, 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 a wide sense, a general sense, and a narrow and a specific sense. In, gen, in a general sense, it was used for representatives sent out by the church on mission. In Philippians 2.25, Paul says, Epaphroditus, your apostle and minister for my need. Epaphroditus was sent out by the church to meet the needs of the apostle Paul. He was sent out. He was an apostle in that way. In that sense, we could say that Tim and Sue Driscoll are our apostles, sent out ones to the country of Japan. But that's not the sense in which Paul is using apostle. He's using it in the specific way. He uses the word in this way. In 1 Corinthians 9.1 he says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? In the narrow sense, apostles are those who, who were, had, had seen, had seen the, the resurrected Lord and had been sent by the resurrected Lord. In most of his letters, if you, if you go through the, the, the Pauline epistles, his letters to churches and to individuals, in most of these letters he identifies himself from the beginning as an apostle as one sent. And oftentimes he'll say, and I am apostle by the will of God. It was God's will that I become apostle. But only in Galatians does he specifically deny that he was an apostle sent by men. No, I'm not like Epaphrodites. I'm different. There's something different. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men. I was not made an apostle by any church or any council. Rather, as verse 1 continues through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Yes, Paul was sent on a mission, but he was sent directly by Jesus Christ. Our our Bible study just studied, uh, our home group just studied Acts chapter 9, where Paul, on the road to Damascus, was blinded and met Jesus, and Jesus said, I'll show him what he must suffer for my sake, as he sent Paul out to be that uh, apostle to the Gentiles. So Paul is on a mission from Jesus Christ. Paul wants it to be clear that his authority, the things he's writing, come directly from God. Therefore, what he writes in Galatians has God's authority behind it. It's God's word. We knew that, but but Paul wants them to know that. As he he sends this letter into the region of Galatia. Paul says that the letter is from him, an apostle, and then verse 2, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. It's to the churches of Galatia. And Paul says, my authority is from God, but all the brothers are with me also. There's unity. He's not standing alone. He has God's authority behind him, but the brothers are with him as well. The church there, probably in Antioch, is with him as well. Then in verses 3 through 5, he gives a a short preview of the message that will be expanded on throughout the book. Really, he gives the gospel. He says in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Two of the most important words in the gospel are grace and peace. This this actually, grace and peace, became a, a standard greeting in the early church. Grace is God's unmerited, unearned, by definition, can't be earned favor given to those who, by definition, don't deserve it. And peace, peace is what takes place as a result of grace. Peace 
reconciliation between God and man. Both grace and peace come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Both grace and peace come directly from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that the good news is that grace and peace you have received are from God. From God alone. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. That's why it's called grace. Now in verse 4, Paul goes to the heart of the gospel. How do we get this grace? How do we get this peace? One, Galatians 1, 4, who, who Jesus Christ gave him, this is following from, right from uh, verse 3, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. At the heart of the gospel is the cross. Christ's atoning sacrifice for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. We need to be clear about this. The problem was and is our sins. Our sins past, present, and future. The sins of of mankind and our sins as individual. The gospel is good news because it deals with the bad news of our sin. You were dead in your sins. You could do nothing to help yourself. Sometimes I think we forget the terrible yet and helpless state our sin puts us in. And therefore the gospel just doesn't seem like that great of thing. If we're, at, if we're able to do something for ourselves, then this gospel, okay, that was good that that happened. But, you know, I, I got this thing too. Well, let me imagine if I were to say to you last week, a scientist discovered a cure for a fatal, painful disease known as corruptitis. This is a terrible disease that's easily transmitted through the air. It can lay dormant for weeks, but eventually it corrupts the body by attacking the nervous system. If I were to say that to you, and I did just say it, but you know, I'm, I'm, this is an illustration, so there's no, there's no disease called corruptitis that I'm aware of. But if I were to say to you, that, you, that to you, you would consider that good news, I would think. Okay, there's that disease, there's a cure has been found, that's awesome. And there would be a certain amount of rejoicing here. That's great for those people. Now, suppose before telling you about the cure for corruptitis, I told you of its devastating effects, and then I said to you, I just found out that I have the disease. So probably everyone here is infected. That would be bad news, yes? But then I went on to tell you of the cure. The good news of the cure would turn into life-giving news for all of us. Everyone would rejoice exceedingly. That's the gospel. Life-giving news for us all because we were dead. The good news is not good unless we understand how bad the bad news is. The bad news, because of our sin, our corruption, we're dead. We're dead, Paul says in, in Romans. We're dead in our sins and trespasses. We're under the condemnation of God. We're slated to receive God's judgment and wrath. That's the bad news. But glory, hallelujah, there's good news. Jesus gave himself for our sins. Because of God's grace in sending his son to die in our place, we can have peace with him. 
And the good news continues. Jesus died for our sins, Paul writes in verse 4, to deliver us from this present evil age. The gospel means deliverance. To deliver those who trust in Christ from this present evil age. Jesus' death was a, a rescue mission. His death on the cross provides the only way of salvation from the evil of this world, from this present evil age. That word age doesn't refer to a a period of time, but of a world system, the evil world system, the satanically controlled world system that we live in. And although we're we're not immediately removed upon our salvation from from earth, from, from, from this system, we're not immediately removed upon our conversion, but we're rescued out of it. We're rescued out of this present evil age. The moment... The moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, yes, we're still in the world, but we're no longer of it. The gospel is not a message we hear now and have to wait to experience later in heaven. The gospel is a message for here and now, a message that can be and should be being experienced here and now. The good news is that we've been delivered From this present evil age, we're no longer slaves to sin in this present evil age. We now have the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers us to overcome evil, to overcome temptation. To overcome the sin of this world. This is good news. And this, Paul writes, is God's will. Verse 4 continues, according to the will of our God and Father, the source of the gospel... The source of God's grace is God himself, the sovereign, loving, compassionate grace and will of our God the Father. It was the will of God the Father that his son die on the cross for our salvation. The Father sent the son to die. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And in that giving, he gave him unto death. And the son willingly laid down his life. Not my, Father, can you remove this cup? But not my will, but yours be done. The Son willingly laid down his life. Every believer is saved because of the sovereign, gracious will of God. And therefore, Paul writes in verse 5, To whom, God, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The gospel is God's idea and was executed by his will. Therefore, he deserves all the glory all the honor, all the praise that the gospel produces. He deserves all the glory for every rescue mission, every person that was rescued from this present evil age. The rescue took place because of his love and grace and mercy. Paul then ends this introduction, these first five verses, sort of his introduction to the book with a a hearty amen, so be it. And then he moves directly to the problem. He needs to confront the problem of the church in Galatia. And he says this in verse 6, I'm astonished. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul is amazed. He's astonished. He's stunned by the Galatians. They're turning to a different gospel. They're deserting him. They're deserting God. The, God is, the, the him isn't Paul. The him is God who called them. Paul didn't call them. God calls us. They're not just turning from a, a doctrine of the gospel. The doctrine of the gospel. They're turning from God himself. 
Now, this is important, and this is subtle, but I think we can get it. I think sometimes we try to separate truth, truth about God, from our relationship with God. You following me? It doesn't really matter what I believe so much about God as long as I love God. We think it doesn't matter if our theology is right as long as we love God. But if our theology, theology study of God, if if our theology, our understanding about God is wrong, then we're no longer loving God. We're loving a misunderstanding about God. The Galatians were deserting the true gospel, the true God, for a God of their own invention. A God who required them to follow the Jewish laws to earn their salvation. A God whose death on the cross wasn't quite good enough to pay for their sins. A God who allowed them to earn his favor. A God whose grace was okay, but not quite enough. If you turn to a different gospel, if you add anything to the gospel, a different set of truths about who God is and his relationship to you, then you've turned away from the true God. You've turned away from that relationship. God had called them in the grace of Christ. And Paul's stunned that they've they've received the message of grace and they've turned to another gospel. He then makes it clear that there is only one gospel, though. In verse 6, Paul says that the Galatians are turning to a different gospel. Then in verse 7, he he corrects what could be a a possible false impression there. Verse 7, not that there is another gospel... Not that there is another one, another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul wants to be clear. There is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. There are distortions of the gospel, but there's only one true gospel. The implications are are important for us today. This clearly denies the idea of, of universalism. The idea that all roads lead to heaven, all roads lead to God. It also denies the the idea that some roads, some other roads lead to God. Or more than one road leads to God, leads to heaven. There's only one gospel, only one road to God, only one path to God. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through Christ alone are we made righteous. Through Christ alone. Do we have peace with God? There's only one gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The problem is the Galatian church, in the Galatian church, was the gospel was being distorted. And it's important to point out that the people who were distorting the gospel were professing Christians. The different gospel didn't come from without, from some foreign religion. It was an in-house distortion. This should serve, as a, I hope, as a warning to all churches, including us, including Bridges Christian Fellowship. The enemy will seek to distort the true gospel. And that distortion, more often than not, will come from within, not from without. Paul said to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20.30, From among your own selves will arise men speaking distorted things to draw away the disciples after them. From within. From among your own selves. Therefore, we have to be diligent students of God's word, don't we? Or we fall prey 
to these distortions. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14.20, Brethren, do not be, and and I cry out for all of us, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking. Be babes in evil, but in thinking be mature. We must be mature. We must be equipped to understand the true gospel. That when a distortion comes along, when a distortion tries to enter in, tries to get a foothold, that we can stand against it. That we will recognize it. Be able to defeat it. Be able to address it. The one true gospel was being distorted by people from within the body. And Paul wants to be clear that the gospel, the gospel they first received from him is the true gospel. And he writes in verses 8 and 9, but even if we, even if, even if we, even if the same guys that brought the gospel the first time come back to you, even if we or an angel from heaven, or I would add a pastor or an elder or anyone, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, Let him be accursed. You think Paul's serious about this? The the repetition, the strong words. If anyone, even an angel, preaches a gospel different from the one preached, let him be accursed. We have to hold our leaders, those that take this pulpit or or sit in uh, teaching in our small groups, or in our Sunday school class. We have to hold them accountable to the gospel. If they're not preaching the gospel, if if I'm not preaching the gospel, they have to take me out. Paul says I'm accursed. We're accursed if we do that. The word accursed is the Greek word anathema, meaning to be assigned to damnation or destruction. This may seem harsh, but it, but, it, but it shouldn't be surprising. It follows. These Judaizers are distorting the gospel. The gospel is the message of salvation. The means to come to Christ. That means they, in fact, have rejected the one true gospel and are leading others to reject it as well. When a person rejects the gospel, he remains under the condemnation, the curse of his own sin. He remains under God's judgment and wrath. Paul understands that eternal, eternal life and eternal death is at stake here. And he wants to be clear about the consequences. He's unwilling to allow this false teaching to, to continue on. He's not willing to say, let's agree to disagree. Truth matters, and he knows that the true gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope for the the people of Galatia, the only hope for any of us. And when the gospel is rejected or perverted, Paul cannot let that stand. He has to speak out. And he must correct and condemn this this heresy. And he uses strong language to do it. Today, in, in our world of to each his own, it doesn't matter. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Words like anathema or accursed or judgment or wrath or condemnation, damnation are are not popular. I think Satan has done his job well. He doesn't want people to know or think about the consequences of their sin. 
If we don't understand the consequences, then we won't be seeking the remedy. If we know the consequences, then we'll be doing anything we can to get a remedy. When the consequences, the bad news doesn't exist, we're not looking for good news. It's not needed. But scripture, again, is clear. There is bad news. There are consequences for rejecting, for perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible states that these consequences, the Bible states these consequences so that mankind will understand and be able to seek that remedy. A remedy that can only be found in the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, if anyone preaches a gospel contrary to to what has been preached, they are accursed. And then he goes on to explain in verse 10 how, why he's speaking so boldly. He says, for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. He's willing to talk this way because pleasing people is much lower on his list of priorities than serving Christ. Paul understands the consequences of perverting the gospel. First, Christ is not honored. If something is added to Christ's work on the cross, then that says his work was not good enough. His work was not sufficient. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't enough. The cross plus anything means that Christ's death was not sufficient, was insufficient. And second, if people add something to Christ's work, then they are not trusting in Christ alone, and they will not be saved. For salvation comes through those who put their faith in Christ alone. So for the glory of Christ and the good of sinners, Paul's willing to speak both the pleasant truths and the unpleasant. So what about you and I? For the glory of Christ and for the good of sinners, are we willing to speak both the pleasant and unpleasant truth? Are we willing to share the pleasant truth, the gospel, the good news, that God in His grace and His Son Jesus Christ to die for our sins? And that those who give their lives to Him are forgiven and have eternal peace in relationship with Him? And are we willing to share the unpleasant truths? That those who reject, those who pervert the gospel, those who follow a, a different gospel, those who deny Christ's victory over sin, or those who add their own works, their own deeds, their own anything to the cross of Christ are accursed. They have nothing to look forward to but judgment and eternal separation from God. Are we willing to speak those unpleasant words? Are we willing to share these truths, both the good news and the bad? Or are we more concerned with the approval of men than with serving Christ? That brings us to the end of our, our first lesson in the book of Galatians, our, the end of my, my part in it. We have more to do in our small groups, and I, I really, again, would encourage you, if you're not in a small group, uh, if you haven't signed up to do that, to, to find a time, a place to join us as we continue to talk and think about these things. As Jeff comes and leads us in communion, as we celebrate and remember the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would just encourage us to examine our hearts. Because I think for us in, in evan, evan, evangelical Christians, this, this, this is subtle in our hearts, this 
distorted gospel. Examine our hearts. Are we trying to add? Is there anything in your heart that you're trying to add to the gospel? Ask yourself, what am I trusting in? Am I trusting in my own good works, even subtly? Am I trusting in my ability ability to obey certain commands, to be a good person? Am I trusting in my ability to overcome sin, to not do this thing that has gripped me? Am I trusting in my church attendance, my Bible reading, my prayer time? If you or I are trusting in anything besides what we remember here this morning, the broken body and blood of Christ, then we have to come to Him and ask for forgiveness. We have to repent. We have to bring that and lay it at His feet and say, I will no longer trust in these things. I'll trust in you alone. We have to ask Him to forgive us for our pride, for that's what it is. When we try to add anything to the gospel, it's, it's our pride. There's got to be something I can do. There's got to be some good work that will make me okay. There's got to be some ability to overcome sin in, in me. Ask Him to help you truly understand and live based on this one true gospel. The gospel, remember, that has the power. The gospel that gives you the Holy Spirit to overcome sin. To live the life that He's called you to live. Trusting in God's gracious gift of His Son, Jesus Christ, who willingly gave His life as a sacrifice for your sins, in order that you might escape the wrath and judgment of God and experience eternal life and peace with Him. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank You for Your Gospel. Lord, it is nothing of us. It is all of You. We don't deserve it, but thank You for that that awesome Word, that amazing Word, the Word we sang of this morning, that amazing grace that comes upon us once I was blind, but now I can see that wretched man that I was, Father, and you came with your grace, Father. Help us to to accept that, to believe that, to trust in nothing but Christ alone, to lay aside all all the things that we think we can do for you, Father, and accept and receive Jesus Christ. Accept and receive the Holy Spirit that comes that comes and then, and then through the power of the Spirit aids us, aids us to grow in relationship with you, aids us, comforts us, helps us, the helper, Father, that helps us overcome sin, that helps us combat this world, that helps us share your gospel, Father, that helps us in, in so many ways, helps us to do good works for your glory. Lord, help us understand this. Help us understand this. To apply it and to live by it in Christ's name. Amen.